0: Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Ephesians is about the church, the body of Christ, and let me give you a little, little background context here of where this came from, at least what we think traditionally. After Paul's third missionary journey, he goes back to Jerusalem to do some uh, sacrifices and ceremonies, and while he's there, his opponents see him and raise a big ruckus, and Paul's arrested, at least for his own protection, by the Romans, and eventually he's taken to Rome, that's in the book of Acts, those last several chapters, and the traditional view is it, it acts ends with him being in house arrest, and we think probably two years he was there. Uh, he had friends can come and go, but he was in house arrest, couldn't leave. He was probably chained to a soldier or two all during that time. And while he was there, the traditional view is he wrote the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians are called the twin epistles. Because they're so much alike. In fact, there's some similar content in those two letters. Colossians is about Jesus, about the head of the church. Ephesians is about the body of Jesus, the church. So they kind of go together. But Ephesians is about the church, about you and about me and about um, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Now, we come to this letter here, this uh, greeting, this uh, salutation, this uh, epistle of Ephesians. Now, uh, I went to seminary and learned this. Let me give you some seminary experience here. Uh, I found out that an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. Just to let you know that. Epistle is a letter. It's a fancy word for a letter. It's a letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Now, w- in the, in the old days, do you remember when you got letters in the mail? I don't mean on the computer, a letter in the mail. And you get one special with no return address. First thing you do, you open it up, and you go to the very end, don't you? Who wrote this to me? Now, we do that with birthday cards and Christmas cards, don't we? There's no return address. First thing I have to open it up, oh, this person sent it to me. Great. Now, what did they say? I like the way the ancients did. They would do that differently. They put their name in the very beginning. This is me writing to you blessings and a prayer. That's kind of what they did, more or less. So here we have Paul's letters this way. Paul to the church at Ephesus, me Paul, you Ephesians, me to the church at Ephesus, grace and peace. And sometimes it's a prayer, sometimes it's a blessing. Uh, He goes into something else in just a minute. So, as I said earlier, how can we have a sermon on a letter's greeting? on a letter's salutation, another fancy word. Can God speak to us today through an ancient letter opening? If this is God's word, the answer is yes. In fact, there's more here that I have time to talk about. I'm going to hit the basics here. In our text today, Paul gives us three truths about who we are. Not who are we, but who we are. And upstairs, I, my clicker is not working either, so you go going to do it for me, okay? Is that an amen? Okay, a thumbs up. Okay. First of all, we are God's sent ones. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul calls himself an apostle. This is a technical term and a general term. The word literally means a sent one. In non-Christian literature of the time, uh, it would be described a naval squadron going on exposition. They're going out. They're sent one from the military. That's kind of a general word. It's also an ambassador sent out by government, by a king or a ruler or a government sent out on behalf of that ruler or that government. He was or she was an apostle, a sent one. Now, in a technical sense, a Christian technical sense, this is one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus sent out by Him for the Great Commission. Now, I know as a young Christian church member and growing up in church and even as a young Christian in college and so forth, I was confused by the 12 disciples and the 12 apostles. That's confusing. And I found out they're the same. Now, Jesus had many more than 12 disciples he had at least 70 he sent out 2 by 2 in fact when he picked the 12 he picked the 12 out of a big group he picked these 12 to be with him and to train and he had 120 disciples in the upper room after his ascension so disciple is anyone who follows jesus kind of backpacking upon what you said yesterday and help us understand what a disciple is a disciple is a christian who follows jesus it is any Christian, follows Jesus. But an apostle is a technical term for the 12, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. I guess they become apostles with the Great Commission as Jesus is ascending to go into all the world. Now, notice what Paul says here. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, he is saying that he considers himself equal with the 12. In fact, you might say there's 13 apostles. It's what Paul would say. Now, I'm interested to see how the others would think about that. But he said in other places that he had met Jesus face to face, and he was commissioned by Jesus just as much as the twelve were. I am an apostle in a technical sense. Now, notice what Paul says about his apostleship, by the will of God. He didn't say, I want to be an apostle. He didn't say, I've been to seminary and got my certificate or I've been ordained by a certain church that therefore I've chosen to be an apostle. No, God picked me to be an apostle. I didn't choose this. I want you to notice just the the, the, the feeling Paul gives here and other places he mentions that he's an apostle. He's confident. He's not arrogant. He's not saying, I'm an apostle and you're not. You know, look at me. God chose me over you. No, he's just, he just stating facts in a confident manner, in, in, a, in, a, in a convinced manner. I think there's some astonishment behind that, that God chose me, that there's some uh, authoritative in this there. He does this really big in, in 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, in a sense of his calling. He's confident, he's convinced, he's, convinced, he's astonished, he's authoritative in a sense of calling. And in a general sense, this can be applied to each one of us, you and me, every Christian. Because of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, to go into all the world and make disciples, He sends us into the world. We are sent ones, you and me, every Christian. And if I can put it in this way, our baptism experience is our commissioning service. We're commissioned to be sent ones. Like an ambassador for Christ, we are sent out by the king on behalf of the king to do the king's business. Like Paul, we can be confident, we can be convinced, we can be astonished, we can be authoritative in our calling, our position as an apostle, as an ambassador for Christ. We are called to do kingdom work on behalf of the king by the will of the king. In the Great Commission, go. That is a participle. Supporting the the main verb of make disciples. It's kind of like as you're going or when you're going. Wherever you go in life, you're to make disciples. You are sent in your job, in your neighborhood, at the grocery store, in church, raising your family. Whatever activities in your life, you are an ambassador for Christ. You are an apostle. You are a sent one on behalf of the king, to do the king's business. So, what is that business? As I search the scriptures, it seems like only one ministry has really been given to us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5. We're given the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling the world to God. Reconciliation is the gospel of people still so they can be reconciled to God, and so much more than that. But that's what part of our ambassadorship is about, our apostleship is about, is the ministry of reconciling the world to Jesus. And there's many different ways you can do that. Just in here, each of us are doing it in a different way because God has gifted us differently, experienced us differently, personalities are different, we can do all kinds of things, different kinds of ministries that God calls us, so many different ways, as are different people. By using your spiritual gift and your personal ministry, how are we doing? I was the things in yesterday's report. I wasn't too surprised at most of that, really, except one. One kind of surprised me a little bit, and that was the thing on spiritual gifts. It was really high that we felt like we had, we understood our spiritual gifts, and we were using them. Well, I was su- somewhat surprised. And I'm, I'm glad that you you saw that, felt that, doing that. Uh, that was really encouraging uh, to me. Our church, not just you, but our church, Emmanuel Baptist Church is a sent one, isn't an apostolic church. <laughs> We're an apostle as a church doing the king's business. This may be off subject, I don't know. You guys have seen what's happening next door. The new road, you, when I came here almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, you said, there's a road coming by here. Then I saw the flags up a, th- two three weeks ago, and then they're doing stuff, and Look like they're making an entrance, people are just coming to the church, making a road here to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Right? It looks, looks that way. It looks like making one or two entrances here. Come here. I think I said yesterday or whenever, we used to be a church in the field, and there was a church on the corner. Right? Amen. So uh, we had nothing to do with that. Except God, I guess. So we'll see how God uses this new road and this new entrances and, and so forth. So we are church is a sent one, and we're to go, not just be stay on the corner, to go. The Great Commission calls us a disciple, to disciple, to, to tell others about Jesus, to win them to Jesus, and to train them to go out and tell others they can win people to Jesus, they can train. It's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle? No, it's not a vicious cycle. It's a good cycle. This is our job as an ambassador, Church of Christ, a disciple making church. So we are God's sent ones. We are apostles. I am an apostle. Will you say that with me? I am an apostle. Say it again. I am an apostle. You believe that? You are. Second, there you go. We are God's saints. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Saints. When you hear the word saint, what comes to your mind? I think the Roman Catholic model has influenced us greatly. We we think of a saint, we think of that person's moral character or religious uh, activities that's that's beyond us. And I'm not sure if these these two people are saints yet, but they're in the process of the Catholic way of doing things is uh, Pope John Paul II and Mother Teresa. They're both on the, on the way, if they haven't got there already, to be saints in the Catholic Church, and because they seem to be beyond us, so holy, so saintly, and what they did and who they were, and that seems to be our picture, our mentality of saints. But Paul doesn't use the word that way. Paul describes the special relationship of all believers, all disciples with God, not a privileged class. The word literally means, the saint means uh, holy ones or set apart ones. That's what the word means. The root word, of the word saint, we get our word holy from and sanctuary and sanctified. It all means set apart. We call this room here a sanctuary. And technically, this is only a sanctuary on Sunday mornings when the saints gather. It's a set apart room. Other times, it's an auditorium. But it's set apart for God's purposes, in this case, for worship. We use, maybe don't use that, those words in the same way, but we have a concept of things being set apart. You, you go to the grocery store or go to Walmart or go anywhere, and you have these special parking spaces set apart for handicapped people. Those are sanctified. <laughs> they're, they're set apart. They have some for pregnant women now and some for veterans now and some for pickup now. Well, some churches, they have uh, a pastor's parking space in the church. What are you laughing at? <laughs> they do. My uh, church in Newport, we had a, a, a dirt uh, parking lot, but it had a pastor sign right there, which is okay. Um, and when we paved it, I said, take that sign off because I can find a parking space Sunday morning. I don't need one during the rest of the week. You know, it's just right there. Um, Okay, that, those are old days. But we do have some parking spaces, some churches, not our church, that are, that are set apart and sanctified and holy, and those are visitors' parking spaces. Those are set apart. They're holy. <laughs> That's what the word means. It means set apart. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, for you are a people holy, set apart, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasure possession out of the people's Of all the people on the face of the earth, holy, chosen, special possession. And we see other places in the Scriptures. It's not because Israel was pretty or smart or numerous. God picked Israel because He loved Israel. In fact, almost in spite of Israel, as we see later. God loved them and put them in a special position for Himself. It means to set apart. In this case, set apart for service. And the priest in Israel was set apart for specific service. We do lay hands on gospel ministers or deacons or elders because we set them apart for special ministry. We we'll lay hands on everybody. We're all set apart. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you, talking to Christians, you and me, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because we are saints, because we are set apart by God, by trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He calls us to live a life of holiness, to live a life of sainthood, of purity of life, commitment of your will to His will. Once a little girl in Sunday school class, and she was asked the the question of the class was, you know, what is a saint? Well, she comes from that tradition in which they had a large sanctuary with stained glass window and they had all these different saints in there. And she thought for a second, a saint must be someone who lets the light shine through. That's not bad. If we're saints, the light of Jesus should shine through us to others. Now, Paul calls the Christian in the church, Ephesus, saints. Every Christian, the saints. To the saints who are in Ephesus. These aren't special people. These are believers. These are disciples. Now, Paul does this regularly. In the church in Corinth, he calls the saints at Corinth. And if you know your Bible, the, church, the, the, the saints in Corinth were not saintly. They were... I've heard before, when things go bad for a pastor, he wakes up on Monday morning and says, thank God, I'm not the pastor of the Corinth church, the Corinthian church. Because it, it was a messed up church. Messed up church. But, call, but Paul called them saints in his letter. So we are saints whether you feel like one or not. You are a saint. Can you, will you say with me, I am a saint. I am a saint. Again, I am a saint. Okay, you are. Whether you fell out or not. We are to live like one, holy, pure, committed. Third truth here, coming up on the screen. There it is. We are recipients of God's grace and peace. Verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Against the letter. Me, Paul, to you, Ephesians, give you a blessing. Blessing, grace, and peace. That's pretty typical for a letter, but it's pretty deep here. It comes to the blessing part of of grace and peace. So what is grace? We'll talk about grace in more detail later on, but you know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. No one could boast. I guess a basic definition of grace is undeserved grace favor. Something you've received, a favor received that's undeserving. You don't deserve it, but you get it anyway. And I discussed this a little bit a few weeks ago in, in a different way, different context, but mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You, you go to court and you got nothing in court and you throw yourself on the mercy of the court. I know I'm guilty. I know I deserve all this stuff, but judge, jury, come <laughs> me some slack. Give me something I don't deserve on well, the mercy of the court. We understand that. But grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now, we understand that in some other areas. Uh, you have car insurance, and the payment for the car insurance is due on the first of the month. Read the fine print. You got to the 15th to get it in. That's called insurance grace. That's a grace period. It's due on the first. But if you get it in after the first, before the fifteenth, you're okay. The one I'm more familiar with is called policeman's grace. When he calls, he pulls you over running a stop sign or going too fast, and for whatever reason, I've got my share of tickets, and I've got my share of not getting tickets too, (laughs) because they've given me policeman's grace for whatever reason. I was bebopping down, I was going to a conference one, this is years ago, I guess down 70 or where I was, and I, And he, a policeman stopped me, and he just told me a second, well, I had a little Bible sitting over here, I, not for him, just I had it with me, and he said, you know, are you a pastor? I said, yes, <laughs> okay, see you. Uh, he didn't have to do that, but he did it. I didn't have the Bible out to make it look like something. That place was great. After another place, other times I could say I didn't get tickets. I did get tickets too. Now what if I walked up to you and say, "Here's a thousand dollars." Is that grace? Yeah, yeah. What if I said, "Here's a thousand dollars, Fred. Go wash my car." Is that grace? No. Now, it's not equal. That's definitely not equal. I'll do it. But okay. <laughs> But technically, that's not grace because you're doing something for it. Now, grace is, is God. Well, not just from God. Could be, I can give you grace by giving you a gift and you just receiving it. Not doing anything for it, just receiving it. That's not a work. You give a $1,000. We receive grace so we can extend it to others. Somebody ask you a question. What? What do you need grace in today? What do you need grace in? Is it, do you need grace for salvation? You haven't trusted Christ yet as Lord and Savior. Do you need grace for salvation? Do you need grace for your Christian life, to live as a Christian day by day? You need grace. Of course you need grace, but do you need grace right now? Do you need grace from recovering from an illness that you're, you're having or something that's looming in front of you? Do you need grace in loving a difficult boss or a difficult neighbor? Do you need grace in that? Do you need grace in discipling yourself to study the Bible regularly and to pray regularly? Do you need grace to help you with that discipline? God promises to help us in our time of need as we approach Him. I think that's from the book of Hebrews. We say that recently. Grace. We are recipients of grace and peace. Now, peace is, in one sense is, but in another sense it's not, the absence of conflict or war. We have peace between nations, and this means we're not fighting. Uh, That's that's a, a vague, simple definition of peace, but peace is much more deeper than that. But peace is the the presence of all the positive spiritual blessings which makes life worthwhile. If you don't have grace, if you don't have peace, life doesn't go right. A state of balance and wisdom which comes only to a person who is deeply rooted in his or her commitment to Jesus Christ. Peace, as Paul says in in the Philippians, peace that surpasses all understanding that the world does not understand. Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. See, this, this, this biblical peace is an experience which you can enjoy independently from your outward Experiences, outward circumstances. The word peace. In, in Hebrew, the, the greeting is shalom. And that's, it could be translated many different ways. It's not just hi, how you doing? It's really is, is a greeting of peace. Um, peace to you. May you have God's peace. It's, it, it's a word of, of salvation, of, of wholeness, of healing. Um, it's not just absolute conflict, but it's all those things. And it can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And once you receive peace with God, and Billy Graham wrote a little track with that name on it, once you have peace with God first, then you can have peace with each other. Our families and our marriages and our communities are messed up because mm-hmm. we don't have peace with each other. And we can have that peace with our neighbor, with our husband, our wife, with our children, with our church family, with our community, if we have the peace of God first, then we have the peace with neighbors. And then I think lastly, and maybe more importantly, you can argue with me that, we need peace with ourselves. Some people don't like themselves. They have problems with themselves. They can't forgive themselves. But we need peace within ourselves. That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Now, I want you to notice what Paul says here. Verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the order. You can't experience true peace without experiencing God's grace. Grace must come first. Then peace comes. I wondered in the past did Paul just write this down and didn't think about it. I think he, I think he understood it. I think he did it on purpose. He understands grace comes first, and the peace can follow. People in our world are seeking peace. They're seeking peace in the world with others and with themselves, with God, but they can only experience that peace by God's grace. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, who are we? As Christians, who are we? We are God's sent ones. God's ambassadors, God's apostles, speaking and ministering on behalf of the king. We are God's saints, his holy ones, set apart for service individually and as a church. And we are recipients of God's grace and peace that comes only through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are given that grace and peace so we can share that with others or at least tell them how they can have grace and peace too. And we can act graceful and peaceful to them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Apostle Paul and how you commissioned him and wrote these letters to churches to encourage, to correct, to teach doctrine, to teach Christian behavior. We thank you for his short salutation here, short greetings how we can learn from it. Help us, Father, as individuals and as a church, Emmanuel, Baptist church, to be an apostle, to be saint and live like a saint, to experience your grace and your peace, to minister to the world. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.